Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala Sermon Podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. What follows is an audio recording from our Sunday morning worship gathering, and we hope that you will find it encouraging, challenging, and helpful. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. Well, good morning, church. We're going to continue our study this morning in Philippians. In chapter 3 this morning, starting in verse 12. And if you'd like to have a Bible, we have uh, the story Bibles to be able to track along with us if you'd like to have one. Many of us have worked really, really hard in life. We've had this job for a while, we've done something for a long time, and we'd like to think of those who don't work very hard and want all these handouts, we get frustrated. How many has been there? Yeah. Okay. I was employed by the state of Ohio, so I was professional taxpayer receiver. And our union contract said we're not allowed to use the term work. But if anybody didn't put their weight in when we worked, clocked in, it was like, boom. I put 10 years into this. I put 20 years in. I worked with senior officers, been there for 30 years. And you get somebody that's new, don't want to put any effort in, win all the rewards. We get frustrated at that. When God says, hey, follow me, when Jesus says, hey, will you follow me, we need to strive. We need to work toward this. And there's some truth, and it's kind of piqued my interest, like the old saying, God doesn't help those who don't help themselves. How many of you heard that? Well, it's not necessarily in Scripture, but the idea we'll touch upon today. We're going to learn this morning about striving together in the race that Jesus has called us to. Working hard together to strive together for what the race that Jesus has called us to. And last week, Pastor Ryan took us in chapter 3, and we're going to connect with that. If you open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 12, you see right there at the beginning, not that I've already obtained this. Not that I've already obtained this. What is the This. Great question. Glad you asked. What we are studying today directly connects with what Pastor Ryan's sermon from last week. Remember, he said we had to be vigilant to watch out for those who would lead us astray. And Paul pointed out that his resume as a Hebrew of Hebrews was the best that there had ever been. If you wanted to go by, hey, I'm pretty stellar at what I do. And he gave us all these lists of what Paul was really good at. And so... He said, all that which I thought I was really good at, all the accolades that had been given to me was counted as rubbish. Literally, the word in Greek is dung. Yeah, number two. It's translated really nicely in your English. Paul's grandmother would have washed his mouth out with soap for using that. But what he's saying is everything that my life and I was good at compared to what Jesus did in my life was rubbish. So... What it mattered was his faith in Jesus Christ. So we know that his faith in Jesus Christ was central to his life. And then we get to this part, and he says, uh, not that I've already obtained this. What is the this? Well, look, I'll just recap real quickly from last week in chapter 3. Paul had yet to fully comprehend in verse 3 what it truly meant to have unfettered 
praise and interaction with Jesus Christ, to fully know Jesus in every detail, to fully comprehend the power of Jesus' resurrection, to fully share in Jesus' sufferings, to fully be like Jesus in his death. I'm moving down to verse 10. And then in verse 11, to fully comprehend what it would look like finally to be done with this life and be raised from the dead. So therefore he says in verse 12, not that I've already obtained this. What is the this? To fully know Jesus. Faith begins with recognizing who Jesus is, his burial, death, or his death, burial, and resurrection, and promise, return. It's central. It's foundational. But does the story end there? Does our interaction with God end there? No, you may know what to do on the first day of the job, but you're going to spend the next how many years figuring out how to do it? You might be able to turn a half-inch wrench. I can do that. But to do it like Robbie does all week long at a Dodge dealership, I don't know that stuff. Same thing with our wealth. Same thing with our faith in Jesus. How then do we do this? Not that I've already obtained this, he says. Look at verse 12. Or that I'm made perfect. I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me his own. Look, Paul says in verse 12, I am running the race because Jesus ran the race to catch me as his prize. Paul recognized that the Christian walk was more literally like a race, racing toward a goal. A goal of fully knowing, fully experiencing Jesus as Jesus is in my life today and spiritually maturing at the same time. It wasn't just the acquiring of knowledge, but then how does that affect my life and then how do I walk? We do that in our jobs, don't we? How many of you have been to seminars and you have to sit there to listen to some boring person talk for eight hours and you've got to click yes on the answer sheet? Training, done. And then most of them are online today, which drives us even more nuts. Okay? Yeah, you're all shaking your head. I was there. State of Ohio was a professional at that action. So you get this head knowledge. Doesn't mean you're any better at your job. So what then you got to do? Go put it in action. Paul says the same way. To fully know Jesus and then to experience and walk with him. Look, he says, I haven't reached my goal yet and I'm not perfect See that in verse 12? Perfect. This word made me study this week. Because the first thing that comes to our mind is, well, duh, I haven't met a perfect person yet. And then you got some morons that are out there like, they can be a complete idiot, and I was like, well, I'm not perfect. Well, obviously. But on the other hand, we can say, I have no goal to achieve because I don't want to be good. I can always claim to be infallible and use that as a cop-out. Paul says, not if I already attained it, I haven't grown in my knowledge of Jesus, nor am I yet complete. The word here for perfect means well-rounded. It means something that's come to its desired end and is fully accomplished. Perfect. To be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, means he is our goal. He is our prize. And it isn't your bar that you set that you want to do a mile in 45 minutes. 
It is, hey, I have set this goal of this race to run it as Jesus ran, and I want to be more and more like him, so therefore that is my goal. And get this. Hang with me here. The word here is in the passive tense, Ms. Sue. Passive means what is happening is being attributed to the verb. All that to say, I have yet to attain it, but I am striving toward the goal. I have yet to have been made perfect. The perfection isn't Paul's. It's a combination of his effort, but it's really Jesus' effort working in Paul. You understand what I'm saying? I have yet to be made perfect. Whoa. Why would he use a passive voice there? Because it sounds active. You are running the race. This is where Paul messes up his metaphors. If you do this in writing, you get a check mark on your paper, but Paul gets away with it. Okay, so Jesus is working alongside him and say, I want you to run this race, and I want you to attain this goal of being complete, to be well-rounded, and that action's being done to me while I am doing it. Kind of sounds like what we studied earlier when Paul said, work out your salvation with the eye toward the crop. God works with us, gets excited with us when we step out and start working. It's the same thing here, and this idea will continue. Get this. Paul the Apostle, someone who went to seminary with Jesus himself, at this point in time had probably 30 years of ministry underneath his belt, and he led the greatest missionary journey that's ever been done, says, I've yet to finish the race. I continue to press forward the goal. And he's unable to rest until he reaches that goal. Talking about setting the bar for us. Paul the Apostle. Paul the, I'm going to go out and lead a missionary journey. Paul, who spent time with Jesus himself, says, I've yet to attain the goal. So I keep pressing forward. How could he? How could he say this? How could he say, I've yet to attain the goal? I've yet, yet, not yet, been made perfect, is literally how it's translated, which is awkward been made perfect, been made whole, been made all fully in its final form, done. How do we keep on going? Because look, he says, I strive. Because Jesus Christ has made me his own. See that at the end of verse 12? There's a really, really cool wordplay going on here that we don't pick up really well. Let me translate it this way. Paul says he's striving to grasp the goal of knowledge and experience and application for Jesus Christ because Jesus has grasped and taken hold of me. He uses the same word. I am striving forward, pressing forward, trying to make the line at the end of the finish line well, and I'm putting press forward to that. Why? Because Jesus has grasped me and said, here we go. There's again two passive verbs here. Let that sink in for a second. That's how Paul said, I can keep on pressing forward because I can reach out and try to grasp the goal because Jesus has grasped me and brought me along. Paul literally is repeating his words again. He said in the beginning, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Work out meant, hey, work on this with an eye on the crop. Then he has used examples. 
He started off with Jesus' example in chapter 2. Then he went to uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus' examples. And guess who he's using as an example here? Himself. Guys, I am doing what I've asked you to do. I am striving toward this goal. I was out riding my mountain bike. And if you haven't done it, it will actually ruin all of the oxygen in the area, and it goes away, and you're left with no energy to keep on going, it seems like. That was a joke for Frank. Um, but I'm going at it, and I come to this spot, and the trail is usually about this wide. And we get, come to this area, it's called Blue Highway, and it's really wide. And there's this lady and her husband riding ahead of me. And this lady's giving it all she got. And it's wide there. So her husband rides up next to her and puts his hand on the small of her back and just keeps on pedaling. Now, she's still giving it all she's got. And I'm so enthralled by what, you know, wow, check this out. Not only this guy's got mad skills to be able to ride one-handed and push somebody, which is really my first glance was like, that dude's legit. I'm like, look at her. He's doing it in such a way that she's not like, but he's matching her cadence matching her hard work. And I'm like, that'll make a great sermon illustration, which is today. Jesus says, strive toward the goal, press toward it while I am pressing with you to achieve it. It's this image of him coming up alongside, putting a, his hand in a small ear back and said, Christian, you want to follow me? I'm right here with you. I'm pushing. You keep pedaling, keep pedaling. We're going to do this together. I will help you as you work hard at this because I take a ton of joy in watching my children do this. You're not left alone orphaned in this race. So we strive because he has striven. We strive toward the goal because he has striven to grasp us and get to us. We're not running the race. We're not biking alone. He has come to us and said, I want to do this hard work with you. And next we're going to see that we, there is a way in which we strive toward, that we do go forward in what Jesus has called us to. And we'll pick that up in verse 13. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We strive this way. He literally starts out there, brothers and sisters, we haven't reached our ultimate goal which is, remember, to fully know Jesus, nor have completed our quest for spiritual maturity. Paul was wise enough in his long-established relationship with Jesus not to give himself with credit, saying, I've already made it. I'm there. So what does he literally do? He's being forgetful of what's past, what lies behind me. Friends, the past serves great purposes. But when you drive a car by constantly looking in the rearview mirror, it's not healthy. All 
Also, past success is sometimes a great stumbling block to future success. Well, that worked really good in 74. He is being forgetful of what's in the past. But here again is the passive verb. He's being strained to push forward, being stretched out to what lies ahead. Looking toward the goal. He's straining forward. Run the race. We read it in Hebrews 12. Run the race. 1 Corinthians 9, talk about running a race. But remember, Jesus is incredibly excited to join the race with you. To what? To what goal? To the goal we strive for is the call of God on our lives. Stretching out to the goal, which is the call of God on our lives. Because God has adopted us as his children. How great is it that we can go to Ocala and declare Jesus and to make disciples for Jesus so they do the work that Jesus has called them to do. And this happens in every facet of our lives. If we are mature, this is where Paul says, if you don't agree with me that this is really what it's all about, this is some Paul humor. God will convince you someday when you mature enough. Really, it's like when you tell your kids, I'm right, and they're like, oh, you know you're right. Well, when you grow up, you'll know. So to Paul's writing to the Philippians and saying, well, this is kind of complicated, and I don't agree with that, blah, blah, blah. And Paul's like, all right, I'll just put the right trump card down. When you mature, you'll know. God will convince you that I'm right. Friends, as we press toward the goal, as we're being pressed toward the goal, that we need to mature in our spiritual walk to fully know Jesus and to become like him in doing what he has called us to do, if you think you've made it, you're immature. However old we are is not necessarily how spiritually mature we are. And if you think you're spiritually got it all put together, you're pretty much a loudmouth adolescent. And Paul says, if you don't agree with me, God will convince you someday. So we lean into the goal. We, which the goal is the call of God on our lives. And Paul was wise enough to say, yeah, I haven't yet attained this. And Paul's going to give us more examples. Look at verse 17. Brothers and sisters, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and their glory in their shame. With minds set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. From it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Paul drops two commands right here. Be fellow imitators and observe. Look at that first verse, the first line in verse 17. Brothers, 
Join in imitating me. Okay, this is going to strike sideways. I want you to hear me. Nobody likes somebody walking up and saying, if you really want to get it right, just watch me do it. That rubs us raw. Except in real life. If you want to do what you're doing incredibly well, you really want to watch somebody that does it really well. Right? How you use your mouth when somebody's really aggravated at you is going to win you a lot of stress when you're in a hard situation. So if you learn to watch somebody who is incredibly good at de-escalating situations, and your propensity is to escalate, watch them. Follow their example. If you want to do a sport and you want to be incredibly good at it, watch those who are really good at it and try to keep up with them. Why in a Christian walk to me say, that's stupid. I got this figured out. It's because of spiritual adolescence. Paul says, hey, I haven't yet attained this, but I want you to imitate me. Oh, as Americans, that just rubs us raw. Paul, you are arrogant. Well, he, he watched him. He's written all these letters and said, hey, here's what I did for you. Here's how you know I loved you by what I did. By the way, this is the hard part of discipleship. When you're going to disciple somebody, it's allowing them to watch you. And we don't like doing that. Unless we're a great authority and we get paid like six figures to do it every week. But in in the Christian walk, why is it so wrong to say, hey, I want to disciple you. Watch me as I do this. If you've ever taught anybody anything, you know that right before you teach it, you've got to know your stuff. And you need to be maybe a half step ahead of your student. And that forces you to do that, right? If you're under the gun and you need to know how to do X, Y, Z to rebuild a Hemi, and you're going to teach me tomorrow, and you know that's going to be really, really hard, you're going to how do I communicate this to this guy? In the Christian walk, be willing to say, all right, I know that I need to set an example that's worth imitating and that does the also of motivating us to follow Jesus even that more fervently, which he gets more excited about getting into the small of our back and pushing us along. It's not arrogance, it's real life. It is actually what God has called us to do in discipleship. If you want to disciple somebody, be willing to be imitated. I think we studied that in 1 Thessalonians this morning, didn't we? Paul says, imitate me. Then he's like, observe faithful followers. And both of the way he constructs these is in unity with people. It isn't Paul saying, hey, y'all, walk, imitate me because I'm the one representative. It's in community that he says, imitate those who are worthy of imitating. And I have taught you, I have walked with you, I have loved you, so imitate me. And so then I want you to observe. And these are in bold print. Two commands, be imitators and observe. And the word observe here, you might want to think of pull the scope up and keep the crosshairs on them. Keep your eye on the goal, keep your scope on it, and watch them. Strong picture, isn't it? But that's how mean, that's how strict he is about observe. I want you to pay attention. 
And remember, he's also saying, imitate me. So he's asking them to do that to himself, too. But there's also those to watch out for. There are those to watch out for because they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Who are the enemies of the cross of Christ? Just a few examples. Jesus really didn't die. Jesus was just a good man and tried to follow his example. Jesus taught some good things, and what he did was we should incorporate those and be good like Jesus. I say it's an enemy because not necessarily that they're wrong, but they're missing the truth that God took on human flesh, said, I love you enough to die for you, and I will raise again to pay for your sins. That's exclusive rights of Jesus alone, the world around. And it's a bold statement. It rubs against people the wrong way when they're like, well, my God doesn't do anything like that. Well, this one's did this. It is exclusive rights to a deity to take on human flesh, to die for the, those people he, wanted, he loved and illustrated that with them, and he allowed creation to kill him to raise from the dead. That is exclusive. He says, also those who you should watch out for, their end is destruction. Those not worth imitating or the ones you have your scope on, if they're not following Jesus, their end is destruction. This is really pretty cool what Paul's doing here. He's saying, Christian, follower of Jesus, the end of your race, the end of the line is to grasp hold of what Jesus already grasped hold of him, and he also mentions when he dies as part of that. So the end for those who don't know Jesus is not that. It is destruction. It's another incredibly bold claim. If you don't follow Jesus, at the end of the day, at the end of your life, it will be destruction. Also, like, their gut is their God. See in verse 19, their end is destruction, their God is their belly. This is pretty raw. The Romans at the time, if you were really rich, you would have a mega buffet. And when you got full, they had means in which you could go purge yourself to return to the buffet and continue filling yourself. That's the image he's using here. It's not bulimia. It's the exact opposite. I'm going to get my money out of the Golden Corral this afternoon because I can eat 15 pizzas, regurgitate them, and go back up and get another 15. It's, Paul is full of real... Really poignant. If we meet people who they're driven by their gut, if it feels good for me, then it's got to be okay. And who are you to tell me? They're driven by those desires that are so gluttonous in this Roman picture that how in the world could you do that? Well, I just like eating that much. Well, that borders on psychosis. Well, we know people who want to look so good, they're borderline on psychosis for the things they'll do to their body. They want to look so good to the world around them that they'll go to work week in and week out to, to push their family aside that borderlines on psychosis because it's all based on them. Every one of these to watch out for are based upon an individual who's solely placed on themselves. If I am the God of my life, and I am going to rule my life, and I sit on the throne of my life, these all make sense. He also says, they glory in their shame. 
That which they rejoice in is incredibly shameful. The best example I could come up with this, I worked with guys who were married that would compete against each other for how many women they had on the side. It was a prison slang. If I had a wife over here, and I had five women on the side, and I could balance all that, I'm legit. I'm like, you're a moron. But they would compete against each other. Adultery in that situation was a prize worth going after. They gloried in this. And I'm like, you are insane. For one, married to one woman is challenging enough. Amen to every guy on some Father's Day. It's hard enough. And being married to one guy is, your guy's why Mother's Day is so incredible. But these guys will get them on the side. And that was what it was called. How many you got on the side? I'm like, what? But they gloried in this. The world, when you all about you, when you can set all of the parameters based upon how it feels to your belly, how it feels to your life, that which you glory in, it's pretty shameful. It's against what God says. And people say, this is right. We know people who do this. And then they think like the world. It's about me. It's about my self-interest. What, you are the benefit to me as long as it benefits me. I will use everything about you, my world around me, everything, all my resources to my benefit. That's the way the world thinks. Where God says, love the world like I loved you. How have we taught what love is? Seeing a need, meeting that need, and expecting nothing in return. It's what Jesus did for us at the cross, remember? When we go and give these blessing bags to the homeless, if anybody says, that's, a buck two, that's $3 for that, please, I will go through the roof. Or if you say, you need to be nice to me, I will go through the roof. You need to show something back to me because I've been nice. I donated two socks to you. Now, this is a hard issue, but we will do this this Thursday. But think like a citizen of heaven. And that's where Paul is going to transfer this. You're observing people who are like this. you got the scope on them. You're watching. But that same intensity as you as a leader being watched. Now he's going to say, I want you to imitate. In this imitating, keep the scope idea on. Look, verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven. Those two watch. It's like, Paul, what do you mean? It's like he transfers this idea. What? Well, look what he's done. These people think like the world, and he's going to say, since you already have your citizenship, since your visa, since your passport, it says, hey, I belong to Jesus, and he lives in heaven, this is then who you should watch. They live in such a way that evidences that they belong to Jesus. That's where their zip code is, because it's not there yet. Essentially, as follower of Jesus, we're sojourners now. This isn't our home. And we're awaiting that home. Our hearts and minds are toward the eternal promise of a land that we can hope for. Because right there, right now, is our Savior, Lord. Savior, He died for you. Lord, He's coming back. Is waiting to come back for us. 
And we eagerly await the return of the Lord. And what's he going to do when he comes back? Those of us who have gone into older age, we know that when this body isn't made to go this long, we look back at the Hebrew scriptures and see that, man, somebody lived to 900 years, 800 years. Anybody voting for that? No, I'm at 46, and I'm like, this is wearing out. Somebody's like, well, I can't wait to make 120. I'm like, not so much. Getting old is not for whips. Things just do not work right. Paul knows that. The dude's been beat, shipwrecked, stoned, all of these things. And the, the, one of the things they say is he couldn't see very well. What was he looking? What was part of his hope? Man, I could take off this and put on that. So it's real. We struggle here in the ins and outs of can't hear anymore, can't see anymore, can't remember anymore, can't ride anymore, I can't balance a bike very well anymore, just ask Frank. But he is going to return, and when he does, he will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. Don't ask me what that looks like. Paul never explains it. He's just going to do it. I'm not going to tell you what I don't know. There's all kind of extrapolation. All I'm saying is go by the Word of God, and it doesn't give us definitive answers on what that is. We definitely know that it's not like this. For everybody who's got a medication, should have said amen. Because we won't need it. Because, look, to be like His glorious body, by the power that enables Him, the same power that enables him to give us that new body is the same power that will put what? Look at the last part of this verse. Even to subject all things to himself. Ephesians teaches us that when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he was the boss of everything imaginable. That which was over the earth, that which was on the earth, and that which was under the earth. He will put all things in subject to himself. So how is Paul using this as striving for an example when he says, watch out for this. Don't put your scope on the earth and those who are walking in this way, but put your scope on what it looks like to be a citizen of heaven for your hope that's in Jesus Christ because he's going to come back with such amazing power that will transform your body and it will put everything in subjection. The last part, you can think of it this way. Life is tough now. There's people who do not like us. There's people who are just passive-aggressive or whatever, and life is horrible while you're trying to live like Jesus. Well, take hope, and then when he returns, the boss will set it all straight, and they'll all look at him and go, okay. Every knee will bow, and every tongue confess. So live in such a way that your citizenship is in heaven that illustrates that not only do you know that, but it affects today. It's hard, isn't it, to teach kids to be patient about what's going to happen in the future to work toward it today. And our Christian walk is the same way. I don't know when we have the celebration of life slash funeral for one another, but those are, we're kind of looking forward to, it's kind of bittersweet, Right? We get to switch off these clothes and then meet Jesus face to face, which is like amazing cool. But then you got the pain of loss. 
But when Jesus returns, he makes all things new and we get to see him face to face. Live in such a way that the future enables how you're obedient today based upon what he says will be in the future. And finally, take your place. Strive in place. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Paul said some really hard things. And he says, dear loved ones, twice. Brothers, dear ones, those who I love, strive in place. You're like, what? Remember, we're striving toward and forward to the prize. But now he's saying, take your place on the spiritual battlefield. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians 1.27, chapter 1, verse 27. This isn't the first time Paul's talked about striving and standing. That's where he mixes his metaphors. So we've talked about running the race, running the race, being pressed forward toward the race, toward the goal. And now I'm going to tell you to stand still. Paul has his first time he's done it. Look in verse 27 of chapter 1. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or absent, Paul says, I might hear that you're standing firm. How? In one spirit, with one mind. How? What's the next verb? Striving. Side by side for the faith of the gospel. Take, your firm, take a firm stance where you're at while you're striving with others hand in hand. This is the unity principle we've been working over and over, week in and week out, over Philippians. So he's saying, take your stance on the spiritual battlefield because this is also the word he uses. Remember, in the end of Ephesians, it says, pull on the full armor of God, and you've got to remember you know, the faith helmet, the breastplate, and all that. What's the word he uses there? Stand firm. So while you're striving in unity with each other, take your stance in the race. Take your spot. Don't bow out because it's getting tough and you're going to go to the bleachers. Because we have to take our place. This is a comfortable area, except for if the air conditioning is too high or too low. Tomorrow is really tough. Because right now, we can pretend to all love Jesus and pretend that, hey, God's word is pretty cool, and it's not too combatant. Tomorrow morning, you might be at the situation wherever you work, hang out, or play with, or however, that if you say, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus, or I'm going to say, hey, yesterday, hey, we learned how to do this unity thing, and I want to go and pass out blessing bags to the homeless. What are you getting out of that? Nothing. I'm doing it all for them. Well, that's stupid. Well, you're going to have to take a stance. No, I'm not motivated by what I get out of this. Well, you mean you're not taking the tax write-off for donations to the local church? That's not why I do it. So there will be an opportunity for you to take a stance tomorrow as you are proactively pressing toward the goal, which is today is the halftime. Take a break, take a chair, be encouraged. Take a break, take a chair, get ready to be... Just go. 
you know, firing like cattle prod. However, to this morning was for you. We're at halftime. Tomorrow morning is the race again. Reaching your neighbors, fellow workers, people where you hang out for the message of Jesus in order to make a disciple. Will you run tomorrow and will you be able to take a stance when needed to be? And will you do it with unity with others? See, the spiritual community, we have to strive together to run the race Jesus has called us to. How are we going to do that? These are some applications that came up with to put this right there with you today. For one another, for everybody in the room, those who say they follow Jesus and we want to do this as a family from Grace Church of Ocala, how will you put these verses in obedience? Paul says, strive with one another. Therefore, who is your disciple? Or, and, who is discipling you? Because if that's not happening, then explain to me how you're doing it with each other. Finally, our community. Paul told us this week to watch out. Bring up that scope and watch. Be an imitator of those who are discipling you. Be willing to be imitated, but watch. Who are you going to watch this week? And how will you watch them? There are some quality people worth watching. There are some quality people that are not worth watching. Paul told us how to watch. Now, remember, who's then going to watch you? You, I don't know of anybody here that's a hermit. Does anybody go just live in their house and never come out? I would not necessarily think that was bad because that's kind of what I'm naturally inclined to be. But we have to live in our community in such a way that we either we get payment or we're trying to do our job or we got to go to the grocery store. People will watch. Who will watch you and what will they observe? So if there's another pastor in town that did Philippians and said, hey, watch for these qualities, and they have no idea who you are, and they're watching you live life Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, when they come back and say, I found somebody. They're walking it. They're trying. I could observe them say their success, their failures, their repentance, their work towards reconciliation, all of these things. Now, also, this Thursday at 7 o'clock, Let's be watched. We're going to hand out these blessing bags. We need to put them together. Because here's the hard part. Inside these blessing bags, we're going to give the pamphlet of John. So essentially what you're saying by handing out the blessing bags is I represent what's contained in this book. So you're implicitly saying I want to be imitated. Right? Because if it's all about you, then Thursday may not be your day. But if you've given to meet another need because you saw that need and you don't expect anything in return, but you're going to, this needs to go with them. By the way, everybody gave enough money to purchase these in our full amount really quickly. Thank you for responding to God's work in your life to make this possible. That's, that's really good stuff. I'm really, really excited about that. But these go inside our blessing bags. 
guys have done a great job of donating to that. That's the easy part. Thursday at 7, meet here, put them together, unified as a group of people to go into the community and say, here's something for you, and they're watching. What will they see? Let's pray. Thanks again for listening. If you have any questions or would like more information about Grace Church of Ocala or the sermon you just heard, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org.